few weeks ago, if you remember back a, a few weeks ago, we studied the nature of true faith. We examined the nature of, of true faith by examining the parable of the sower who scatters seed on various soil. So you remember the sower, he would, he would go out scattering seed, and some seed fell on different soils. The seed represented the word of God and the soil, the hearts of those who heard the word, who received the word of God. Uh, so some people who heard the word of God, if you remember, they could talk the talk. They seemed, to re- they seemed to receive the word of God with great joy. They seemed to grow in the faith. They seemed to rejoice. But over time, it was proved that they were not walking the walk. Eventually, their faith faded away as they faced the trials of life. Eventually, their faith of some was, was choked out as the cares of this world crowded in and they were distracted. And so we saw a few weeks ago as we looked at that parable that true faith is faith that endures. True faith is faith that produces fruit. It walks the walk. Well, in some ways, our our text for today expands on on that theme. It's in some ways a continuation of that theme. As we will see, true faith in Jesus includes both talking the talk and walking the walk. That being said, those are really my two points for the sermon. Those are my two points for the sermon this morning. One, talking the talk, and two, walking the walk. And the the main idea of this text this morning from Luke's gospel is that Jesus is the suffering Savior. We just thought about that from Isaiah 53. Jesus is the suffering Savior, and he calls his people to follow in his footsteps. Jesus is the suffering Savior, and he calls his people to follow in his footsteps. So for that first point, we're going to look at talking the talk. And so please look with me at Luke 9, verses 18 through 22. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. So remember where we are in the context of Luke's gospel. This question of who is Jesus has been a question that has come up many times in recent weeks in the text that we have studied. Uh, We saw it a couple weeks ago in the last text that we studied from Luke's gospel when Herod, when King Herod wondered... Who is this I hear such things about? Luke 9, 9. Well, if you remember back a few weeks before that, after Jesus calmed the storm when he was on the boat with his disciples, we read in Luke 8, 25, after he, calls the, after he calms the storm, the disciples wonder, who then is this? He commands even the wind and the waves, and they obey him. Well, even, even further back in, in Luke chapter 7, The disciples of John the Baptist, if you remember, they come to Jesus and they ask, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah, in other words, or should we expect someone else? Who are you? Who is Jesus? It's been a central question. It's been a prominent question. But in these verses this morning, these verses that we just read, we finally see someone give the right answer to that question. Jesus first asked his disciples, Who do the crowds say that I am? 
They answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the ancient prophets, one of the Old Old Testament prophets has come back. This is exactly what Herod said that he had heard uh, in Luke chapter 9. It's the exact same response that that Herod uh, is reported to have heard. But notice that what Herod had, had not heard, what the crowds were not saying about Jesus, what the disciples do not report the crowds as saying, is that Jesus is the Messiah. The crowds called Jesus a prophet. Herod had heard that Jesus was a prophet. But the problem was that description of Jesus, that that description of Jesus is simply incomplete. It is insufficient. It falls far, far short of who Jesus really is. John the Baptist, Elijah, the prophets of old, you know, what did they do? Who were they? Well, they were forerunners of the Messiah. They were those who were pointing the way to Jesus Christ. They were pointing towards Jesus Christ. And here, we're now in Luke's gospel. Jesus is here on earth. The Messiah is standing amidst these crowds. Jesus is performing miracles. He is walking among the people. And they missed it. The crowds did not have the right answer to that question of who is Jesus. So Jesus then turns and he asks his disciples... He asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And friends, there is just simply no more important question in life than this. Who is Jesus? A life and and death is wrapped up in your answer to that question. Is Jesus a prophet? Or is Jesus the Son of God, God himself, and the Savior of the world? Well, Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples, gives the right answer. Who is Jesus? God's Messiah. Now, certainly we can say much more about Jesus than that, but it's a right answer to the question of who is Jesus. He is God's Messiah. Peter and his disciples believed that Jesus was the Savior. They believed he was the one that had been promised by the prophets, that John the Baptist had been the forerunner of, that Elijah had pointed to. They had gone just from a couple of chapters ago after Jesus calmed the wind and the waves from saying, who is this who commands the wind and the waves? To now saying, you, you, Jesus, are God's Messiah. Well, what led them to this point? You know, what had led them to to give this right answer, God's Messiah? Well, it's because Jesus had revealed himself to them. In uh, Matthew's account of this same event, in Matthew's gospel where he records this same event, Jesus says this after Peter confesses correctly who Jesus is. Peter says, or Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Well, as, as one pastor put it, you don't know this kind of truth unless it's been revealed to you by God. The disciples believed the revelation of God. They believed what Jesus said and what he claimed. And because of that, God opened their hearts to receive the truth. He still does that. Matthew eleven twenty seven: No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. This is the great mystery of conversion. You're called upon to believe. You can't believe unless God awakens your heart to believe. 
The power of God works upon a sinner to bring that sinner to believe. And at the same time, God awakens the sinner so that belief becomes a saving and life-giving faith. Friends, the, the disciples believed they had come to this confession that Jesus is the Messiah because God opened their hearts to believe. God opened their hearts to see Jesus for, for who he is. The same thing is true for each and every one of you who are Christians. God at one time opened your heart to receive and believe that truth. Well, friends, if, if you have joined us and you are, are not a Christian, we're, we're glad to have you uh, with us this morning online, we would love to get to know you in person sometime in the future. But if this idea that Jesus is God, if this idea that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the only Savior of the world, is new to you, or maybe it's not new to you, but you're just not sure if you really believe it, if it's really true, well, know that you must be able to talk the talk in order to be saved, that you must have the same confession as Peter one day if you were to be saved. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, in other words, talk the talk, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to be able to talk the talk. You have to have the right answer to who Jesus is. You have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But as we will see, as we're going to see in the second point of the sermon, you must do more but it must start there. Well, you may be wondering if the disciples answered, answered correctly, if they gave the right response to who Jesus is, why is it then in verse 21 that Jesus commands them to be silent? Why would Jesus tell them to be silent about uh, the truth of who he is? Well, I think there are, are two answers to that question. The, the first is that the crowds themselves did not understand who Jesus was. I mean, that's been very obvious in what the disciples report that they were saying. They did not understand who Jesus was. As we have uh, said several times as we've journeyed through Luke's gospel, many, if not most, in Israel were expecting the Messiah to come to be a political savior. He was going to free them from Roman rule and Roman oppression. He was going to bring greatness back to Israel. Uh, so though it was true that Jesus was the Messiah to publicly proclaim this, for the disciples to go around publicly proclaiming that, uh, that explicitly would have led people to look for an earthly king whether, rather than the suffering servant that Jesus came to be. It also may have brought Jesus into conflict with the Roman rulers as they were not going to tolerate a, a, somebody else being set up as an earthly king in their midst. So that's one reason, but I think a second reason, I think a second reason that Jesus tells the disciples to be quiet is the disciples themselves do not fully understand Jesus's identity or mission. Yes, they gave the right answer, but they were still growing in their understanding here. Let me just look at what Jesus says to the disciples in verse 22. Uh, immediately after telling them to be silent, he teaches them that he must suffer, that he is going to be rejected that he would be killed. He clearly teaches that his mission on earth was to come and suffer and die for his people. I mean, Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that, that passage that Ramana just read for us. I mean, what would Jesus do during his time on earth? He would be despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knows what sickness was. 
He would carry our sickness and our pain. He would be stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He would be pierced because of our rebellion and crushed because of our iniquities. Friends, Jesus came to serve his people by suffering for them. He came to suffer and die for your sins, to take the penalty for sin that you deserved. He came to usher in God's kingdom, to inaugurate God's kingdom, not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. Now, I want to be clear, and we're going to look at this idea a little bit later today and really next week. Jesus will return as a conquering king. Uh, his time on earth was marked by humility and suffering, but Jesus will one day return as a conquering king. But the reason I think that, that Jesus tells his disciples to be quiet, one of the reasons is because they did not understand all of this yet. In uh, some of the other gospel accounts of this very same incident, we learn that right after Jesus spoke of his sufferings and death here, uh, Peter, Peter pulls Jesus aside, the same one who said that you're God's Messiah, Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him, telling him, like, oh, no, Jesus, you're not going to suffer and die. What are you talking about? This is crazy. Uh, Jesus, of course, strongly rebukes Peter and tells him to get behind him, Satan. Uh, so, you know, Peter is clearly wrong, but Peter clearly did not fully understand the mission of the Messiah. Well, so Jesus commands his disciples to be silent because though they knew who he was, they did not fully understand who he was, and they certainly did not fully understand what he had come to do. If they had gone out reporting that Jesus is the Messiah, they likely would not have delivered an accurate message and would have fueled wrong expectations about Jesus. Well, so we do see in some ways the disciples were able to talk the talk here, right? They know that Jesus is God's Messiah, but they're still learning. They're still learning what that means, and they're certainly still learning what it means to walk the walk. Well, that's really where we're going to turn our attention next, the second point of the sermon, walking the walk. What, what is it to walk the walk of the Christian faith? Well, to put it simply, we see in, in these verses that it's to follow the example of Jesus and to suffer. So look with me at verses 23 through 27. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death, until they see the kingdom of God. Well, in verse 23 here, Jesus tells exactly what a life of discipleship looks like, exactly what it looks like to follow him. He, he tells exactly what it looks like to walk the walk of the Christian faith, what it looks like for your actions to match your, your words. Well, if, uh, if, if someone were to come and, and knock on the door of your flat, or wherever you, you stay in the middle of the night and say, hey, there's a fire, you should get out of the building. But they said it calmly, like kind of just like the way I just said that to you. And they didn't really seem to be worried. 
they weren't in a rush. They kind of came like knocked on your door, told you there was a fire, and then they just walked straight back to, to their room or, or their flat and went back to bed. You'd probably wonder if there's like really a fire. Uh, their actions would not match their words. I mean, in some sense it would. They came and knocked on your door, but nothing else would fit. Their actions would not match their words. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying here in, in these verses that if you have true faith in Jesus Christ, that your actions will match your words, that you will do three things. You will, one, deny yourself. Two, take up your cross daily, not just sometimes, but, but daily. And three, you will follow him. And Jesus says all who want to follow him, all who desire to follow him, will do these things. This is what it looks like to walk the walk of the Christian faith. Well, what is it to deny yourself? Uh, to put it simply, it's to, to take yourself out of the center of your life. That's where we all want to be in our sinful flesh. We want to be on the throne of our own lives, but it's to take ourselves off the throne and put God there and to serve others. Now, we see this idea throughout the scripture uh, the second greatest commandment that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, also, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's a call to sacrificial or giving love. It's a call to, to service. First uh, Peter 4.10, Just as each one has received a gift, a, a spiritual gift, use it to serve others. It's a call to use the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you in the service of others. In Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's another way of saying, let us consider how we're to serve one another, how we're to do one another good. In Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. Well, we could, we could go on and on with more and more verses that make this same point. But the point is that the Christian life is one in which you deny yourself and you serve others. And you do this because in doing that, you are serving Christ. It's a way to follow the example of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there is, is no way this morning we could go through all of the ways that you could apply this teaching. Uh, they are, are numerous. We could spend all day thinking through ways that we could apply this idea of denying yourself. But perhaps a few questions would be helpful just to get your, your mind working. First, what is your attitude at work? You know, are you simply at work to get, at, to get whatever you can from your employer? Money, visa, security, Maybe something to put on your CV to get a better job in the future? Or is your desire to seek the good of your employer or your boss, those you work with, to serve them by giving a, a good effort, right? to serve them in the way that you treat them? What about at home? And what is your attitude at home? When you get home from work, for those of you who, who go out and work, do you simply want rest and to have others serve you? Do you, you sacrifice of yourself to spend quality time with your kids? Do you seek to meet the needs of your spouse instead of simply having your own needs met? What about your attitude among your friends and acquaintances? 
Are you constantly asking them for, for things? Or constantly asking them to do things for you? Do you ever seek ways to serve them? And what about your, your attitude at church? Uh, just Friends, just ask yourself, when was the last time you asked someone how you could be praying for them? Do you know what is going on in the lives of the, the members of, of this church? Have you taken the time to consider their needs and struggles or only your own? And how can we bear one another's burdens if we do not know what those burdens are? Now, friends, this is, this is difficult. In our sinful flesh, all we want to do is to serve ourselves. And the world around us tells us that is what we should do. The world around us tells us to look out for number one, look out for yourself, to always ask what is in it for me, uh, to always be examining what are the benefits to me for doing this. But the Christian life is not like that. Christian life is one of self-denial. It's of putting others first. It's of serving the, the Christian life is, is not just one of serving, it's one of, of suffering. Uh, this is what Jesus means when he gives that, that second example of what it looks like to be his disciple, of, of taking up your cross daily. That's a, a literal picture of what Jesus did. He, he carried his cross on his back at least part of the way as he headed to Golgotha to be crucified. For the apostles, many of them would do the same thing. They would be crucified and, and martyred. And what Jesus is, is saying here is that following him means being willing to suffer for Jesus' sake. It means, to be able to, it means being willing to suffer for him, even to the point of death. Now, some of you may remember the illustration of Polycarp that I gave a, a few weeks ago. Polycarp is that famous Christian martyr, perhaps the first Christian martyr after New Testament times. And maybe you remember his words or what he said when he was encouraged to renounce his faith in Jesus, to deny Jesus in order to save his life and not be burned at the stake. And this is what he said. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? Well, Polycarp took up his cross and followed Jesus. Well, friends, I, I think for most of us, and probably all of us, following Jesus will not lead us to be killed. But you may very well face some sort of suffering or hardship as a result of, of your faith. I think sometimes when we, when we think of this idea, we're really quick to think of, of martyrs, those who have been killed for their faith. That's appropriate. Maybe we're really quick to think of, of missionaries, those who have uh, left their home countries, given up family and friends to take the gospel somewhere else, particularly somewhere where they may face a lot of suffering for, for taking the gospel. But, uh, but I think the applications to this are much more numerous. As, as a Christian, your life should be marked by daily sacrifices for Jesus. You should take up your cross daily. Now, part of that daily sacrifice may simply be sacrificing sleep to get up every day to spend time in God's word and prayer. It may be fighting hard to give up a particular sin. 
uh, to change your habits to, to help you in your fight against sin. It might be willing to be able to, to have the boldness to share a difficult word of exhortation to another brother or sister in Christ, even though they may not receive it well, even though it may change their opinion of you. It may be the boldness to share the gospel, even though it may be rejected. Look, I, I know for, for some of you, it is, it's not always easy to get to church regularly. But have you ever considered the fact that maybe God did not intend it for it to always be easy and convenient for you to make it? Uh, he intended that you deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. Well, in a small way, regularly gathering with God's people, having to get yourself ready, uh, sometimes to, to get up early, uh, to sacrifice sleep or other things to come and regularly gathering with God's people helps, you, helps train you to do this. It's a small way in which you can do it. Well, maybe taking up your cross is not pursuing a better job because that job would be in a place that does not have a good church. But instead, you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You place following Jesus above the opportunity for a better job. And for some of you, the cost may really be steeper. You might lose out on a promotion or even a job because you are a Christian. Some of you may have already sacrificed relations with, with friends and family because you became a Christian. Or maybe because you left an unhealthy church tradition for one that was faithful to the scriptures. Some of you may be called to do that in the future. Well, the, the point is that following Jesus requires sacrifice and suffering. And like serving others, it is not easy. Really, this idea of denying yourself and taking up your cross daily are just like two sides of the same coin. Right? You cannot take up your cross daily and follow Jesus if you're unwilling to deny yourself. It just doesn't work. But in our sinful flesh, we have no desire to suffer for the name of Christ. We want to take the easy way out. We want to hide our faith. We want to decrease our suffering and increase our comfort. I mean, who wants to suffer? And I don't think we have to want to suffer to be a Christian, but I mean, really, in our sinful flesh, who wants to suffer? Jesus understands this, so we see him tell his disciples exactly why they should be willing to suffer and sacrifice to follow him. And look again at, at verse 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. I don't know how many of you might remember the story of the Costa Concordia. The Costa Concordia was a cruise ship that hit a rock off the coast of Italy in 2012 and uh, sunk in shallow water, so it wasn't totally submerged, but sunk in shallow water as a result. Uh, and in its sinking, 33 people died. Now, this would have been big news in itself, a, a cruise ship sinking. But what made it such a captivating story, what made it such a big story, is that this cruise ship hit these rocks off the coast of Italy because of the carelessness of the captain. 
he chose to sail too close to an island. Uh, and many are speculating, many believe that he did this to kind of show off. And so it brought them too close to the rocks, which they ended up hitting. But more than that, what made it even a bigger story is that this same captain abandoned the ship in the middle of the evacuation of the passengers. So the cruise ship sinks, everybody's trying to get off, and the captain bails on the ship and bails on these passengers. Now you may not know this, but captains of the ship in, in that scenario are actually legally required to stay with the ship in those situations. It's a legal requirement, but it is also very much the, the culture of, I don't know what you call it, ship captainhood. Uh, so, I mean, why did this captain abandon the ship when there are still people trying to get off? It's because he was trying to save himself. However, the, the end result of him trying to save his own life was that he became a villain, a huge villain in all the newspaper accounts of the ship, uh, of the ship sinking, a, a villain certainly to the victims of those individuals, or the families of the victims who had, had died in the sinking. Uh, he ended up being convicted of, of 25 years in prison for his role in the, in the crash, in the sinking. And some of his jail term was specifically for abandoning the ship. Uh, this was a, a man who tried to save his life, but in many ways lost it instead. He lost his entire reputation, and he lost his, his freedom because he abandoned the ship. Well, this is what Jesus says it will be like for those who seek to avoid suffering for the name of Christ in this life. They will ultimately face eternal judgment. Those who are ashamed of the name of Jesus and hide that fact, hide the fact that they claim to follow him, or abandon him when the going gets tough, what will happen? Well, they will find themselves condemned to hell when Jesus returns again in glory and in judgment. So when we, were, when we were talking a few minutes ago about the crowds not understanding who Jesus was, uh, you may have been wondering, I think I wonder sometimes, like why did they not understand? How did they miss this? How did they miss who Jesus was? Well, you should know, at least for some, it was because they were unwilling to deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow him. They were unwilling to suffer with him and for him. In John 12, 42... Uh, the Apostle John writes this, Many did believe in him, even among the rulers. So there's many in the crowds, even among the rulers, who did believe in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. In other words, they were ashamed for others to know they believed in the claims of Jesus. They were ashamed for the Pharisees to know. They were unwilling to be sufferers to suffer by being thrown out of the synagogue, those religious gathering sinners for the Jewish people. They were unwilling to lose friends or jobs because they were a Christian. They were unwilling to suffer. Uh, friends, these were people who were unwilling to walk the walk of the Christian faith. Uh, friends, what about you? You do not have to want to suffer to be a Christian. I think that would be kind of strange if we wanted to suffer. But you must take up your cross daily if you want to follow him. If someone were to ask you, what sacrifices have you ever made to follow Jesus? If someone were to ask you that question, could you give an answer? 
If they ask what regular sacrifice you make to follow Jesus, even if it is something very small, like some of those things that we, we mentioned earlier, would you have an answer? If someone were to ask you in what ways you serve others, and particularly the body of Christ, would you have an answer? A Christian, if you are walking the walk, you should have an answer to those questions. But even as I say that, I, I want to encourage you with the truth that your Father in Heaven is gracious, kind, and forgiving. If you are struggling to answer some of those questions I just asked, or maybe if you're thinking back to times that you have been ashamed at the name of Christ, well, remember, not long, not long after Jesus said this to his disciples, not too much longer, Peter, the same one who confessed that you are God's Messiah, that same Peter denied Jesus three times. He was ashamed to be identified with Jesus. But he repented, Jesus forgave him and restored him and made him a leader of the early church. And brothers and sisters, Jesus forgives Jesus is ashamed of those who never acknowledge him, who always fear man rather than God, who routinely seek to save their own lives rather than lose them for his sake. But the reality is, as sinful men and women, we all choose the easy way sometimes. But when we do, we're called to repent, to deny ourselves all over again, to take up our cross again, and to follow him. And Jesus forgives so those are the, the first two things that Jesus mentions about what it looks like to be his disciple and follow him. That you must deny yourself and take up your cross. But then Jesus gives a, a third thing. You must also follow him. Well, why does Jesus say if you want to follow him, you must follow him? I mean, that's really what he says in verse 23. If you want to follow him, you must follow him. It seems kind of redundant. Well, I think it's because to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus is to follow the example of Jesus. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Sounds a lot like deny yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, follow his example. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 1 Peter 2.21 For you were called to this, suffering. For you were called to suffering because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And brothers and sisters, what is it that Jesus has done for you? Well, he gave up the, the glory of heaven to come to earth to be mocked, despised, rejected, to suffer and die. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, you should know that Jesus is not calling you to do something here that he himself did not do for you. He suffered for you. He gave his life for you. He took 
sin on himself. He took your sin on himself at the cross. He bore the, bore the full rate of, weight of God's wrath and judgment for you. He denied himself and took up his cross that you might be forgiven and find eternal life. Therefore, if you want to follow him, walk the walk. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Believe in him. Follow his example. How do you do these things? How do you deny yourself and take up your cross? How do you do these difficult things? That's by remembering all that Jesus did for you. He gave his life for you. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Those who deny themselves and suffer for Jesus will not suffer in vain. Let me return for a moment to, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, Peter writes this. The same Peter who denied Jesus, the same Peter who confessed that Jesus is God's Messiah. Peter writes this much later. Dear friends, do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you or the period of severe suffering comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Brothers and sisters, as we mentioned a few moments ago, Jesus is not just the suffering servant. He is also the conquering king who will one day return in glory. Look back at verse 22 of our text. Jesus tells his disciples that it was necessary for him to suffer and die, but that he would one day be raised again. His suffering was vindicated. God has raised him from the dead. God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. Jesus was glorified and is glorified and will they return in glory. And those who follow his example and share in his sufferings here on earth, those who are willing to suffer for his name will one day be glorified with him. And this is the promise of verse 24. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Well, verse 27 of our text anticipates this reality. Jesus closes this, path, this, this portion, this teaching to his disciples by saying, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. In context, Jesus is speaking of the transfiguration here, of that period where he partially revealed his full glory to his disciples, not the fullness of his glory, but gave a, a revelation of his glory to his disciples. It's the text that we will look at next week. Well, Jesus is, is speaking here of the disciples who would witness that transfiguration when he says, some of you will not taste death until you see the, until you see the kingdom of God. But the, the point is, we're going to look at the transfiguration more next week. I think the fact that the transfiguration followed so soon after Jesus' difficult teaching here about discipleship, this difficult teaching about denying oneself and suffering is so that the disciples would get a picture of what awaited those who would persevere in the faith. They got a picture that they were not just following the suffering servant, but the glorious king. And in God's grace, he gave some of his disciples, Peter among them, a picture of his glory to encourage them to deny themselves and to suffer with him and for him, because one day they would share in his glory. Brothers and sisters, Jesus does not promise that it will be easy in this life. Instead, he promises a difficult road. He promises suffering. But Jesus does promise that following him will be worth it. For whoever loses his life because of me will save it. 
Friends, following Jesus is to talk the talk and walk the walk. Let's pray. And Father, we come and, and Father, we, we acknowledge that this is a difficult truth. Father, it is a hard thing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and, and follow you. And Father, it's a, it's a sobering reality to consider those things. But Father, as we do, we, we also come and acknowledge and know that Jesus did far more for us. He is our sinless Savior who came and suffered unjust treatment, unjust suffering, and an unjust death for our behalf. And Father, he denied himself. He came to, to earth and, and gave up for a time the glory of heaven and came to earth to serve us, his people, by suffering and, and dying for us. Father, he took up his cross that we might find eternal life. Father, we pray that as we consider what a life of discipleship looks like, what it looks like to walk the walk, we will remember and we will follow the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we have heard from Pastor Jesse that Jesus 